Welcome to episode 18 of All Car Radio. So today's episode is probably going to be a little bit of a short one where I am going to discuss uh, a recent blog post I wrote on whether or not four-wheel drive gives you any sort of advantages or not on ice and snow. We're also going to have uh, visitors or customers' questions answered and we're also going to read through some of the latest uh, reviews we've got on some of the vehicles that we've released out. And at the end, Chris is going to do his usual uh, roundup of the best deals that we think you should take a look at right now. So without further ado, I may as well jump straight in and tackle uh, the topic at hand, which is, um, does four-wheel drive help in ice or snow or not? <clears throat> when there's snow, it causes problems for all motorists, whether they do have a four-wheel drive car or not. Uh, during this time, you'll hear a lot of motorists mutter about the desire for a four-wheel drive vehicle or make comments to people that do uh, when they start to see snow. So they'll say to the friend who has a Land Rover or something, or I bet you'll be all right in the snow. In this podcast, which accompanies the blog post that I wrote, um, my aim is to debunk the theory that four-wheel drive vehicles can help in the ice or snow and to obviously explain uh, why we think that or not. So um, the first thing that we probably should dive into is why ice and snow cause problems in the first place. And the reason for that is because the, the car itself loses traction because there is, there are, there's a barrier between the tyre and the road so it doesn't make direct contact or not as much contact, which can make it slippery. What improves traction, obviously, are uh, to do with the tyres. And the tyres are designed with grooves and treads so that water, ice and snow spread into the tread to allow the tyre to actually make contact with the road directly. If less contact is made uh, between the road and the tyre, then there's less grip, which can lead to skidding and sliding. This then poses the question, if what's needed is more surface area to make contact with the road, then how would four-wheel drive make a difference? Well, in short, it doesn't. Um, having four-wheel drive does not help in the ice and snow, and some say it actually makes things worse. Uh, and there's a couple of reasons for this. So the most important aspect to consider when driving the snow is, as I've mentioned, traction, which is contact between the vehicle and the road. Having four-wheel drive does not improve the contact between the tyre and the road because all four-wheel drive system does is makes the, make the wheel turn, well, make all four wheels turn and spin. Four-wheel drive doesn't make any difference to the tread or the surface area of the tyre. The myth, though, that four-wheel drive helps on ice and snow is probably perpetuated because, in general, vehicles with four-wheel drives have generally larger tyres, you know, deeper treads and greater surface area for the ice and snow to get into. So, in a strange way... Um, cars that have four-wheel drive will as, probably, as a rule, have bigger tyres. And it's because of these bigger tyres and deeper tread uh, that makes them more grippy on the road, not because of the four-wheel drive system itself. Um, on top of this, four-wheel drive doesn't improve braking, nor does it improve brake stop times in the ice on the snow. And you have to ask yourself, well, why would it? A vehicle with two-wheel drive has the same braking system as a four-wheel drive vehicle does, so there's no advantage there. It could also be argued that the heavier vehicles are even harder to stop, especially once they've started to slide, uh, especially on hills. Um, four-wheel drive also does not improve steering um, uh, of the vehicle whatsoever. This myth is perpetuated, in my opinion, with rally, rally cars uh, that almost appear, uh, appear to be stuck to the road or glued to the road. Uh, but the real, you know, the reality of that is because um, they are tuned for rally driving in the first place, and four-wheel drive helps a vehicle change direction quickly because of the power it can put behind four wheels rather than two. So the steering itself isn't improved, but the power to change direction once it starts to slide, they can turn the wheels and then you know put an extra power that two-wheel drive cars just can't. 
Plus, as mentioned briefly there, uh, these rally cars are specially designed uh, to have special tyres and tuning, which is probably uh, the bigger reason why uh, they're so grippy in mud and all the rest of it. So, <clears throat> it asks, uh, the question needs to be answered then, does four-wheel drive have any benefits whatsoever in the snow and ice? So, um, well, there is only one benefit of an all-wheel drive system in snow and ice, and that is the ability to get moving in the first place. Um, Four-wheel drive gives the vehicle more power to be able to go from stop to moving in difficult terrain such as mud, sleet, slush, ice and snow. These vehicles also have a better chance of getting you out of trouble. However, it does remain to be said that the miscalculated self-confidence of owning a four-wheel drive is likely to get you into more trouble in the first place when compared to a two-wheel drive vehicle. Uh, this is suggested by a car crash detective. So what they mean by this is, and what we also mean by this is, if this myth going around that four-wheel drive vehicles are better equipped to handle snow and ice, uh, then you're more likely to just go into your car, your, uh, your you know, big SUV, four-wheel drive, and think, yeah, my car's got four-wheel drive, I'll be fine. So you don't take as much due care and attention on the road, you don't take it easy, you don't pump the brakes, you don't lower the revs, and you just assume that your car's going to be all right in the snow and the ice, which means that you're probably more likely to get into an accident in the ice and the snow if you do have a four-wheel drive vehicle. On the opposite side of it, if you have a two-wheel drive vehicle, um, then you're probably going to be more cautious because you don't assume that your car is just going to magically handle the ice and the snow. Um, so, yeah, so having a four-wheel drive vehicle can, quite often, I suggest with the car crash detectives, make things worse. Um, so... This asks, uh, the next question we've got here is, so what does help in snow and ice? Well, we can certainly say the four-wheel drive doesn't. Um, it can help you get going in the first place. It can help you get up a tough spot. But once the car's actually moving, it has no more advantages than a two-wheel drive vehicle does. So a short list, which uh, and agreed by Popular Mechanics magazine, is winter tyres, tyre chains, driving slowly and keep the revs low. Um, so it doesn't spin, pump the brakes to not slam on, uh, and of course patience and, if anything, avoiding driving in the snow and ice in the first place. Um, so, but if you are in this article and you want, you are looking for a four-wheel drive vehicle though, um, we probably would recommend taking a look at Audi's Quattro, BMW X-Drive, Mercedes Formatic, and of course Land Rover brand. In general, the reason we've mentioned these manufacturers are not every other manufacturerism it's usually that we've got a pretty good deal on these brands um, so it's probably one of the best value for money four-wheel drive vehicles that you can get um, as a side note that isn't anything to do with the ice and snow if anyone's wondering you know what is the benefit of having a four-wheel drive in the in the first place um, it's pretty much it's power and the ability to go from stop to stop to start quicker because the car's able to push more power to each tyre because all four can turn um, so obviously having a four-wheel drive in your vehicle doesn't have, isn't exactly, doesn't have any benefits. It just doesn't have any benefits when it comes to ice and snow. And we feel that it's a bit of a myth um, that people assume a four-wheel drive vehicle when winter comes around, they're going to be laughing, and everyone else in the two-wheel drive you know, is going to be crying and being well jealous. But that's just, just not the case at all. Um, if anyone's got any questions on this, or if anyone's got any horror stories, or better yet if anyone disagrees and wants to help us make the article better by all means just send us an email uh, and we'll probably add it to the article uh, and if we ever do a follow-up closer to when it's actually winter we might add it in 
Uh, but anyway, the next section, we're just going to get some uh, of the question and answers that we've been sent through since the last podcast. Our first question is from Carl from Cumbria, and he asks, um, how much busier does it get around the new reg plate? Um, well, there isn't a straightforward answer to that, as in I can't exactly just say uh, it, it's 50% busier or 100% busier. But what I can say is that it does get somewhat quiet right up until the new reg comes out and then it gets extremely busy in terms of deliveries on the first day of the new plate and for the rest of that month. So quite often, um, as you get closer to a new reg, people will start to place orders specifically to have it delivered in the new month rather than um, get it a week before it and have the, have the plate be out of date. You know, literally a week later. But what we also get at the same time is uh, vehicles that have already been registered, and that means they have a registration plate, in this case 19, but they haven't been sold yet, they will get massive discounts leading up to a new reg, which also makes it busier. So we get people who are who have been waiting for six months for, for a car to have the new reg, and people who have got an eye for the deal, who are happy and don't care about the new reg, who uh, and actually they can save an absolute fortune. So yeah, um, March and September are particularly busy, uh, but the new reg sort of hype does uh, last for probably a couple of months. So even though the new reg came out in October, uh, November and December are still busy just because the 69 plate is still quite new. Um, and then it probably starts to quieten down uh, maybe a month or two before the next new reg. So, yeah, thanks for the question. That, is a, that was a good one. Thanks very much. I hope you have answered it well. Next question comes from Simone Wood, and she asks, what are your brew orders in your department? Uh, that's a really random question, Simone, but thanks for asking. Um, so mine is, I drink black black coffee mostly. Uh, producer Ross, uh, he drinks white coffee, one sugar. And Chris, he, well, he flirts between a cup of tea and, and a coffee, and then he just swaps over between rounds. Um, if you wanted to get really drilled down on specifically what tea we drink, it's actually Yorkshire tea biscuit, and for coffee, it is Dow Egberts. Thanks very much for that question. Our next question from Akil Hassan, and he asks, how do you deal with cars that have just been replaced that you can still buy both at the same time? And this is a really good question, and I think he's, well, he's probably asked because of the focus in the One Series right now. Well, maybe not the focus, definitely not. But the One Series in particular... Actually, the way that we deal with it is because you can actually get both, and usually they're both on a good offer at the same time, for more or less the same reason. Let's take the one series deal that we've got at the moment. Uh, We've got a couple of outgoing one series, usually pretty hot ones. So the likes of the SEs are probably all all gone, but we've got a few hot ones like the M140, uh, a few of the M Sports. Uh, the old version, so they get massively discounted because BMW and, and finance companies want to get rid of them, but also uh, BMW as a manufacturer want to get their new car on the road, so they'll be on offer as well. Usually, though, it's all about whether you're okay with driving a car that is an essentially not current gen anymore, um, and I've, I've encountered that myself. I had um, the previous generation Fiesta when it was on 66 plate, and then it was replaced literally a year later, and I knew I was essentially driving a car that was outdated, even though I was a one-year-old, but it was such a good deal, I was able to get over it. It's the same case now with the One Series. I think our deal, um, Chris might even mention it later, on the 118i, um, that is on uh, the previous generation, that is on a crazy deal at the moment, because obviously BMW want to get rid of them, 
But also, if you want the new one series, that's equally on a really good deal because BMW want to get it on the road. So usually, to handle it, we actually have them both on offer at the same time. Um, we try and support um, the finance companies and the manufacturers to do whatever uh, offers they've got at the same time. But yeah, usually, if you're after a really good deal, you've got a, and you want a one series, you've got a really bit of a dilemma because the outgoing one series was a fantastic car. The new one series is a fantastic car. But it all depends. I don't know what the exact gap between them is. If you're willing to pay the difference between the old and the new just so that you know that you've got the newest one or whether or not you want to save yourself an absolute fortune on a car that there's actually nothing, absolutely nothing wrong with it. So that's another really good question. Thank you very much. And the last question is from Sarah from Cardiff who has asked a podcast-related question, which is the first one we've ever had, is how many people have downloaded uh, the podcast so far? And I think it was last week uh, we got an email from uh, Buzzsprout and they just said that we've had a thousandth download. So, um, yeah, some episodes are more popular than others for, for obvious reasons, but we've had a thousand downloads so far, which we think is pretty good. But obviously being the only car leasing podcast, we've got nothing to compare it with. So as far as I'm concerned, we are the most downloaded car leasing podcast in the UK. Thanks for that question. And for the last bit before Chris takes over, I'm just going to read some of the car reviews that we've had uh, recently. I am literally going to read them off the website. It's called All Star Reviews. So if you want to check them out in more detail, um, feel free. I'm just going to read the last uh, couple. So uh, Anonymous uh, reviewed uh, the Megan, uh, Megan RS, an absolute hot hat. Um, we, we obviously can't name them. Uh, it, they said it would give them a four star. Such an underrated and fun car. I'm so lucky that it was for, as I've been off the one for years, but never good offers. Puts the focus ST to shame, quite frankly, in my opinion, but I will admit the interior is not as up to date as I would have liked. Um, next review is from Mohammed Mohammed, who reviewed the BMW 3 Series Saloon 330i M Sport Automatic. Um, he said the new 3 Series. It really is phenomenal, and there's no surprise that it's such a popular car. It's great for long commutes, and especially for work with having to travel across the country. Also, why I chose automatic. The seats are comfortable and sporty, and it handles very well whilst having quite a mean engine. Uh, the next one is from Greg Pike, who reviewed the outgoing, no, no, the new, sorry, one series hatchback 118D M Sport. Uh, Greg said, at first, I wasn't keen on the uh, one series because I love my old one so much. And was sad that they changed the shape, but once you see it in real life, you can see it looks even better. The 118D engine is a belter and a really good on economy, and the M Sport trim is just unreal. I am only marking it down one star because I feel the interior isn't that much better than the outgoing model, but that's nitpicking. Got a great deal with ACL. Thanks. You're welcome, Greg, and thanks very much for the review. Uh, the next one is from Matthew Hayes, who reviewed the E220D AMG Line Premium Plus. Uh, five stars for this one. Uh, I'm not surprised because the E-Class Cabriolet was one of the most popular deals in 1819 uh, that was mentioned in our last podcast. Uh, so anyway, Matthew says, one of the best deals I have come across for this type of car. I'm paying almost as much as I would have for the coupe versions so saving loads by leasing instead of a PCP with Mercedes. The car is very comfy. Definitely, uh, the looks, it's not traditionally sporty because of the diesel engine, but it's hardly a complaint. The engine is quiet and has a lot of pull if you put your foot down. It's great having the roof down during the nice weather, but I'm not looking forward to the winter. Or autumn, for that matter. All in all, a very good car. I would recommend it based on the cost saving alone. Thanks, all car, Matthew. Uh, the last one I'm going to read is uh, from Callum Walker, um, who reviewed the Focus Hatchback 1 litre 125 ST line nav. Gave it a four star. Uh, back with the Focus Hatch. 
ST-Line for a pretty good deal around a month ago and definitely was a great decision. It's got some handy driver assistance features like cruise control, lane assist, and also love the new infotainment screen. The only problem I have really is its power, but I have the Wally's EcoBoost and that isn't even too slow either. All in all, love it to be fair. Cheers all cat, thanks very much for that review. Callum. So we've not really mentioned these in the podcast before, but we do have a section on our website called All Star Reviews, where our customers review the car itself. Um, so if you are on our website and you want to um, know a bit more than uh, the car driving the review that we've got uh, and the images and the videos, then you can always check to see if we've got any um, actual customer reviews to back up what you're thinking. Also, if you listen to this and you are a customer of ours and you have realised that you haven't left a review, please visit All Star Reviews. You can find the link in the footer. Uh, or in the, in the top nav, and please uh, help us help other people by letting us know what you think of the card, good or bad. We don't moderate any of these reviews um, at all. We wouldn't, that wouldn't be fair. So anyway, thanks very much for tuning in for uh, another episode of All Car Radio. Uh, I know it's not usually the longest one, uh, but we're not even sure if people like the long ones anyway. Um, and they're quite difficult to record all in one sitting. But anyway, uh, I hope everyone's enjoyed uh, having a few different parts of the podcast instead of just one long story. Um, anyway, I hand everything over now to Chris, who's just going to run down the deals uh, that he thinks and we all think that you should look at right now. Thanks very much. And we look forward to having you next time. Okay, so the one series deal that Ronnie mentioned earlier on is the 118i M Sport with the automatic gearbox. Uh, that starts from £219.98 per month. Um, that's around £20 cheaper than the equivalent spec a-Class, but if you're looking for something slightly cheaper, we've also got the Volkswagen Polo GTI on offer still. Um, that comes with an automatic gearbox that starts from £202 a month. Both cars are really good as a, a daily driver and uh, for a bit of fun as well. The One Series will obviously handle a little bit better than the Polo being rear-wheel drive, but to be fair, the Polo is faster and uh, I think it's the same engine as the Golf GTI. No matter which one you're interested in, I'll leave links in the show notes below for you to check out yourselves and you can configure the deal there and see how much you want to put up front and pay over the term. But thanks for listening to this episode and we'll see you in the next one.